0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts, stocks tracking, interactive charts, and market insights, all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines. U.S. equities rally for a second day, propelling Asian stocks higher as investors continue to look past COVID risks and count down to Christmas. COVID cases in the UK topped 100,000 for the first time as Wales and Northern Ireland set out new rules to tackle the Omicron-infused surge. No country can boost its way out of the pandemic, warned the World Health Organization as its director general calls for greater vaccine equity.
2: Blanket booster programs are likely to prolong the pandemic rather than ending it by diverting supply to countries that already have high levels of vaccination coverage, giving the virus more opportunity to spread and mutate.
1: Tesla shares rally as CEO Elon Musk says he has almost completed his pledge to sell 10% of his stake in the EV maker. A very good morning to you and welcome to the program. I want to kick things off with some fresh data that's just crossing the wires now out of Germany. We're all watching. The inflation data very closely uh, across the globe. And this morning, we've got fresh import price data for the month of November from Germany. So, what we have uh, in November, import prices in Germany rose 3% month on month. That was much higher than the forecast of 1.1%. In terms of the annual rate of growth of import prices, we're up 24.7% in Germany. Uh, That's compared to 22.3% expected. Those are import prices, the latest ones out. Of Germany, So coming in uh, higher than forecasts, and of course, um, one of the big questions as we head into 2022, one of the big themes in, in many outlooks is um, to what extent higher prices will impact companies and to what extent corporates will be able to preserve the high levels of profitability and high levels of margins that we've seen in 2021. And as far as import prices are concerned, um, we are seeing an acceleration in the month of November. Now, in terms of data, we also are looking at some fresh numbers out of the U.S. The U.S. economy expanded at a slightly faster rate than previously thought in the third quarter. A final GDP reading showed the economy growing at an annualized rate of 2.3 percent versus a prior estimate of 2.1 percent. Despite the pickup, prospects for a solid rebound are still clouded by the rapid spread of the latest variant of the coronavirus, as well as concerns over inflation and supply chains. President Joe Biden convened a meeting of his Supply Chain Disruption Task Force on Wednesday. While touting what he said was significant progress in alleviating bottlenecks, he maintained his top priority of addressing everyday price pressures for the American consumer. Top of mind for me is what is top of mind for so many families. The, uh, The pinch of prices and the cost. Look, Addressing these costs has been and will continue to be my top priority the entire administration. And the way to do this is not to slow down our economic turnaround, not to step back from this
2: all this progress, but to build on it. We can and we will address prices by expanding productivity capacity in our economy. So we move more goods to market, get more Americans working, encouraging more investments in innovation and making sure American consumers see those benefits at the store and at the pump.
1: All right, let's get a check on uh, Wall Street trading yesterday. It was a strong session stateside. As you can see here, the three major indices ended the day in positive territory. The tech-heavy Nasdaq leading the gains up about 1.2%, the S&P 500 about 1% higher, and the Dow Jones gaining about 260 points. So a strong session overall. All sectors were actually um, up yesterday, led by the consumer discretionary basket, for the week, all 11 sectors are positive, led by the technology sector which is up about 2.7% year to date. As we head into the final stretch here, would just flag that all sectors are positive. No surprise there. Uh, led by energy, despite all the volatility that we've seen recently. It has, of course, been an incredibly strong year for U.S. equities. Um, in terms of news flow yesterday, one of the big headlines that came through late yesterday was that the U.S. FDA approved Pfizer's COVID pill. This is the first treatment of its kind to be approved. So another tool in our uh, basket of tools to fight the coronavirus. Um, Turning to fixed income, here's a look at treasuries and how we're trading. Uh, We've got a yield higher across the curve, the 10-year trading around 1.46 percent below that one and a half percent mark, the five-year trading around 1.22 percent, and now over at the front end, we've got the two-year trading around 67 basis points. Currencies. Let's take a look at how uh, currencies are faring this morning. We've got the dollar um, trading on the back foot versus the euro and sterling, although no major moves in either direction. Euro dollar trading around 113.37. Yesterday we saw the dollar index slip back about 0.4%, its third negative session in a row. Asian markets, we are seeing the Asian uh, equity indices follow Wall Street higher. We've got green across the board here, the Nikkei 225 over in Japan, about eight tenths of a percent higher, the Hang Seng over in Hong Kong, about half a percent higher. Similar for the mainland China market, um, China, the the Shanghai composite up about half a percent. Interesting to note in China overnight, we heard that the Xi'an region, uh, the city of Xi'an has been locked down amid a COVID outbreak there. Big question marks around uh, how China will fare moving forward given they've had this zero-tolerance policy to date. And as we all know, Omicron spreads much faster than any other variants we've seen to date. And finally, the Australian market trading about a third of a percent higher. Um, In terms of natural gas prices, this is an area that we are uh, eyeing very closely amid the renewed surge in natural gas prices. You can see here it has been um, one direction of travel of late. This morning we've got Dutch wholesale uh, prices about 8.5% lower, uh, around 165. Um, In terms of European futures, let's take a look at how the European session is poised to open after the strength on Wall Street, the strength in Asia, Overnight, we've got the FTSE uh, futures indicating about half a percent higher. Similar for the DAX and over in France, the CAC 40 indicating a stronger start as well. Yesterday, we did see some outperformance in the French market. Uh, That uh, uh, basket of stocks over in France outperformed, while the stock 600 gained about nine-tenths of a percent. Speaking to our colleagues in the States, the CEO of the National Association of Manufacturers, Jay Timmons, said a record number of job openings in the industry was contributing to supply chain woes.
3: We have one million open jobs in manufacturing. To say that that is a record is quite the understatement. Uh, before the pandemic, it was half that. At the worst part of the pandemic, it was three hundred thousand open jobs. But today, we have uh, we we have an enormous amount of demand in our industry, as you well know, and we simply don't have the the people to actually be able to make the products that people are demanding, which again contributes directly to the supply chain. Uh, shortage that we have or the supply
2: chain issue that we have right now.
1: I want to welcome Paul Donovan to the program, chief economist from UBS. Um, Paul, wonderful to speak with you. Um, I know you're you're, um, very accustomed to coming on the show. You know Steve, Jeff, and Karen quite well. It's great to have the pleasure to talk to you this morning. Um, Just kick things off for us, how you're thinking about the world in 2022.
0: Well, I think the, the big issue in 2022 is what happens with demand. In 2021, we had an almost unprecedented demand surge. This is the strongest demand for goods, the biggest leap in demand for durable goods we have had in 75 years. Now, supply has actually increased dramatically this year to meet this demand, but you cannot expect supply to cope with a once in three generation surge in demand. But the basis for that demand was the savings accumulated during the pandemic, and we're getting more and more evidence that those savings have been spent, particularly by lower income groups, particularly lower income Americans, they've burned through the savings. So the driver of this year's demand surge is fading, the demand levels are therefore likely to start to normalise next year. And that's going to be the key characteristic. How quickly do we normalise demand? Where does normalised demand take place first? And of course, what does that then mean for inflation?
1: Well, Paul, I mean, speaking to investors, um, the conversation I've been been having over the last couple of weeks is, you know, looking at markets in the U.S. in particular, yes, there are a lot of um, potential opportunities, um, but if you don't believe in the continued strength, strength of the U.S. consumer How can you really bulk up on some of those plays? Um, And it sounds like, talking to you, that you are expecting a moderation in the strength of the U.S. consumer, which is, of course, the backbone of the U.S. economy.
0: Well, it's a moderation, but it's actually a normalization, And, and normal is good. We cannot possibly expect this year's levels of demand to continue. It's just not feasible. And in fact, it would be extremely dangerous if we would see this year's levels of demand continue, because that would mean that we were in the midst of a credit bubble because the savings have gone. So what we need to be seeing is normalisation next year. Now, when it comes to normal demand, that means living more or less within your income. And the good news here is that household incomes are generally pretty robust. So the normal level of demand is still going to be pretty good next year. It's just not the sort of 25 percent above normal that we were seeing in late first quarter, early second quarter of 2021.
1: And pair that then with what you're expecting in terms of inflation. How do you see inflation versus growth playing out in 2022?
0: Well, we've already seen the peak of corporate pricing power. Uh, that took place in the first half of this year, late second quarter. Corporate pricing power, uh, that's measured by the month on month change in core producer prices, clearly peaked. We've come down a long way in terms of corporate pricing power. And that's what you would expect, because the way inflation has responded has been a classic demand shock response. So some companies have had very weak pricing power. Uh, these are the companies that are creating delivery delays and supply shortages. Yet by definition, if there's a delivery delay or a supply shortage, there is weak pricing power, because otherwise you just keep raising the prices until demand comes down but then we've had these sectors of the economy with extraordinary price increases and that's been because they are able to pass on price increases in the face of extraordinary demand but as that demand becomes more ordinary so their pricing also has to become more ordinary and we will start to move i think fairly quickly in 2022 to consumer price inflation rates coming down. We've already had a couple of negative surprises in various parts of the world, and I think that that's going to be a trend that continues in the first half of 2022.
1: Well, Paul, we've we've talked about the demand side of things on the supply side of things. Looking back at 2021, a lot of the supply chain issues stemmed from China and China has had this zero tolerance COVID policy. We know um, just overnight we've got news that one of um, the, the a key area in China, Xi'an, is locking down amid a COVID outbreak there um how do you see the china story evolving in 2022 i mean the, the, there's questions around the efficacy of the chinese vaccines when it comes to omicron and it, it just seems unrealistic that they'll be able to continue with this zero tolerance policy moving forward and obviously this will have major implications for the rest of the world
0: well we've got to recognize i mean china's supply to the rest of the world has gone up dramatically this year. So for all the discussion about you, the zero tolerance policy disrupting supply, it hasn't. Global manufacturing is at a record high. Global trade has increased at least 11% in volume terms this year. And of course, a lot of that is trade coming out of China. So we have had phenomenal response on the supply side to this extraordinary demand. It's just the demand is so overwhelmingly strong. Um, As far as China is concerned, I think it would be unrealistic to expect a significant change in the zero tolerance policy ahead of the Beijing Winter Olympics. This is a prestige event for China. It's a a big focus. They're not going to want to uh, risk significant problems ahead of that event. So certainly for the next couple of months, I think we continue to see this. Um, And that will perhaps cause selected supply disruption, uh, but very, very brief, uh, we're not seeing, you know, enormous parts of the economy shutting down. We're not seeing uh, particularly lengthy shutdowns either. So this is more noise in the process. And of course, over the next two months, as we come up to the Lunar New Year holidays, we would expect to see supply disruption anyway, coming from the the seasonal distortion of the Lunar New Year holidays in the first quarter of the year. So. We're not necessarily going to be getting anything out of the ordinary, I think, as we go through the period of the Beijing Olympics. Mm.
1: Well, Paul, I just want to um, bring a a fresh headline to viewers and and to you. Um, The Chinese Commerce Ministry commenting this morning that on a China-U.S. trade deal, uh, it hopes that the U.S. can create good conditions for both sides to expand trade cooperation. Um, U.S.-China trade teams are maintaining normal communication. Um, Interesting to hear this relatively constructive line, Paul, out of China's Commerce Ministry, Um, in particular given that the U.S. has just added um, some more Chinese, firms to its blacklist, suggesting that tensions are actually um, potentially bubbling up rather than simmering down. Uh, What is your expectation for how U.S.-China relations evolve in the new year?
0: Well, I think with the Biden administration, there has been a shift of focus. So we have seen uh, far fewer trade taxes come in. the, The Trump administration put an enormous amount of focus on uh, a very, very wide ranging trade taxes. The issue with that, of course, is that the, trade, the cost of the trade taxes was borne mainly by U.S. companies and to some extent by U.S. consumers. There was some impact on China, but it was more an increase in costs for, for U.S. companies and U.S. consumers. And we didn't see a huge amount of demand uh, shifting away from China. You know, the, the supply chain still ran through China. With the Biden administration uh, in in uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen, of course, we have a, an extremely competent economist running the Treasury Department, and any competent economist will tell you that trade tariffs really don't work um, as, a, as a policy over time. And so we've seen that shift away from trade taxes, trade tariffs, and rather more selective prohibitions generally on national security grounds and and so forth. So I think that that's going to be the the hallmark. I am not expecting necessarily that trade taxes are are cut. That is a possibility. But I think that we, we put the trade taxes as a relatively static issue. And instead... Uh, any problems that occur between the US and China are more likely to be focused on uh, the sort of bans that we've been seeing, sort of targeted sanctions, rather than general trade taxes, which as I say, tended to fall largely on US companies and US consumers Mm. anyway.
1: Paul, um, let me turn your attention, if I may, to the UK, where um, one week on from the Bank of England's decision to go ahead and surprise many market participants with um, a rate rise at their last policy meeting. In the meantime, we've got the UK recording um, the highest level of COVID cases to date and businesses uh, talking about how they're suffering um, with people changing their behavior even before any restrictions uh, return. Uh, How are you thinking about the, the Bank of England's decision to raise rates? How impactful is that actually gonna be on the economy? And do you see them being able to continue raising rates in 2022?
0: Well let's face it if if a company is pushed into bankruptcy by a 15 basis point increase in interest rates that company should probably not be considered viable it shouldn't be in business so at the margin this is a this is a cost which falls more on businesses than on consumers many consumers have fixed rate mortgages but it's a fairly limited cost at this stage i would expect uh, a cautious policy of tightening coming out of the bank of england and i don't think that the omicron variant necessarily Uh, changes the narrative for 2022 in the UK or indeed elsewhere, Um, what I think it does do is create a lot of noise. So you're quite right. I think people have voluntarily scaled back um, uh, uh, in advance of Christmas uh, their socialising, their economic activity in the service sector. Purchase of goods are not particularly affected because about a third of consumer spending ordinarily takes place online in the UK, and that number's a lot higher in the run-up to Christmas. So people, I think, still feel confident about shopping, um, but not necessarily about doing the service sector. And that's because either they want to spend family uh, time at Christmas, or alternatively, of course, if you're a small business person, Um, you can't take the risk of being forced to quarantine over Christmas if you're unfortunate enough to contract COVID. So you've had a a very conservative approach here but this is temporary and i think quite a lot of this will be deferred because people are saying well you know i I will have had the third booster jab by the start of january the the number of people getting booster jabs is extremely high in the uk um and you know we won't go out before christmas because i want to spend christmas with the family but after christmas we'll go out for drinks we'll go out for a meal and perhaps some of this spending is just simply deferred that's going to play havoc with seasonal adjustment. But I think that that's a possibility.
1: And Paul, I mean, this may be an impossible question to ask anybody, um, let alone somebody outside of the medical field, but what is your expectation for when um, the, the, the COVID crisis uh, will just be a factor that's you know determining economic direction, market direction versus uh, probably the number one factor, um, which I, I would say it is right now?
0: Well, in terms of economic direction, I don't actually think this is really a medical issue because we have said right from the very start, the economic impact of the virus is not the virus itself. It's fear of the virus and fear declines over time. Now, this is one of the reasons why I think the the COVID pandemic has been so economically disruptive, because this is the first pandemic with a social media hashtag. And we all know that social media spreads fear and fake news very, very rapidly. So that's been a big part of the process. But fear has clearly declined. We're seeing this over time. And people have learned to adapt. This is the other thing. We always tend to forget that the markets are very bad at remembering. In the wake of a crisis, in the wake of a tragedy, People adapt actually very, very quickly. We saw this after 9-11. We saw this after Fukushima. We've seen this after this pandemic. So that combination of declining fear levels and people adapting means that the economic impact of this decays. And I think it will, it will be a relatively minor factor by the second half of 2022. If we also get to a stage where we have treatments for COVID in its its various forms, that starts to translate the from pandemic to endemic, you know, from something which requires um, shutting down the economy, so non-pharmaceutical responses to try and contain the situation, to one where we can rely on the pharmaceutical solutions to contain the situation. And again, at that point, this becomes uh, just noise in the statistics rather than something which we we have to focus on too much in the financial markets.
1: And Paul, a very timely comment uh, with the U.S. FDA um, granting emergency use authorization for Pfizer's COVID pill just yesterday. So we should soon see the impact of that. Um, Paul, uh, wonderful to speak with you. Thanks for joining us this morning. Paul Donovan, chief economist from UBS. Coming up on the show, some promising data out of South Africa on Omicron, but will it be enough to keep hospitals operating as normal? And for more on the supply chain issues affecting the U.S. economy, you can check out the Box podcast. Welcome back to the program. Um, We've got some fresh data from AstraZeneca this morning, um, and you'll wanna listen to this. AstraZeneca coming out with some fresh lab test results, saying that it's COVID-19 vaccine that it um, developed alongside uh, Oxford University was effective against the Omicron coronavirus variant um, following a third dose. This is a lab study, again. And what they saw with this third dose, this booster uh, neutralizing levels were similar to those against the Delta variant after a regular two dose course. So similar language um, that to what we heard out of Pfizer and also out of Moderna, um, we are still awaiting more detail. This is just a lab study and AstraZeneca said that they are looking at real world data to um, see more definitively how the vaccine booster stacks up, uh, continuing to collect further data to better understand the implications of these data, these lab data in clinical practice. But um, what they have found is that a third dose significantly boosts antibody levels against Omicron. So some good news. Um, of course, we uh, are looking for ways to vaccinate the world um, when it comes to uh, coronavirus. And so having another vaccine booster in our toolbox, certainly good news there. Uh, so these are some early lab test results out of AstraZeneca and University of Oxford. and they are encouraging. A third dose does seem to boost antibodies, boost those neutralizing antibodies against Omicron. So some good news there. We'll keep an eye on AstraZeneca shares uh, when the stock opens a little bit later this morning. But to continue with the latest uh, on the Omicron variant, the WHO has warned that countries will not be able to boost their way out of the pandemic. The World Health Organization Director General says next year must mark the end of the COVID pandemic after 3.5 Million deaths in 2021. That's more than the combined total from HIV, malaria, and tuberculosis last year. Dr. Tedros says that while the vaccines delivered hope in some areas, they are not solving the global issue.
2: Blanket booster programs are likely to prolong the pandemic rather than ending it by diverting supply to countries that already have high levels of vaccination coverage giving the virus more opportunity to spread and mutate. The global priority must be to support all countries to reach the 40% target as quickly as possible and the 70% target by the middle of this year. No country can boost its way out of the pandemic and boosters cannot be seen as a ticket to go ahead with the planned celebrations without the need for other precautions.
1: The UK has reported over 100,000 daily new COVID-19 cases for the first time. Weekly hospitalizations are also up about 45%. Now, the news comes as the government reduced the self-isolation period for those who contract COVID by three days if they return negative tests on days six and seven, allowing them out after a week rather than 10 days. Preliminary studies published in South Africa and the UK suggest up to 70% fewer people need hospital treatment when infected with Omicron than with other variants. The evidence points to Omicron having mutated into a milder virus, but fears remain hospitals may still be overwhelmed with many care staff themselves becoming sick. Dr. Ralph Reint, yes, Professor of Epidemiology, Hamburg University of Applied Sciences, joins us now. Um, Dr. Reint, yes, great to speak with you once again. You and I spoke um, about a month or so ago uh, on uh, street signs uh, in the very early days after the uh, Omicron variant emerged. Um, now that we've had a little bit more data, in particular these new early studies that came out in the last 24 hours um, around the severity of the Omicron variant, What's your take now in terms of the danger that this um, variant uh, uh, presents?
3: Good morning from Hamburg. Um, yes, the situation is now we have a bit more information which are quite useful, but it, you have to differentiate on the individual level and on the public health or societal level. For for all of us um, on an individual level, the uh, current studies indicate something really good so that uh, um, the virus is probably hopefully hopefully this will be confirmed in in uh, various other uh, countries as well uh, is less severe in some way how much is still um, Uh, Yeah, remains to be seen. But uh, at the same time, also, from an epidemiological point of view, uh, this uh, variant spreads so much faster than previous ones. Um, So society and our healthcare system is still running a high risk of uh, being uh, overrun very soon.
1: Somewhat encouragingly, when you look at where the first Omicron outbreak emerged in uh, South Africa, uh, you are seeing a slowing in the case rates there. Um, I'm wondering what you make of the trajectory um, and just how rapidly the uh, case growth seems to be slowing there. And if that's something we can extrapolate um, when it comes to the waves we're seeing in the UK, the US, Europe and around the world.
3: You have to think about the situation in South Africa and in other countries uh, individually. I mean, in South Africa, the situation is that uh, most people had um, had, had a previous experience with the coronavirus. So there is some immune uh, response, uh, quite a strong immune response available there. So it is very difficult to, to extrapolate to this to other countries at this point in time. and um, it also depends very much on, uh, non, on other um, measures like non-pharmaceutical uh, contact reduction and so on. So it, it is difficult to, uh, to really to project uh, the uh, coming weeks.
1: Dr. Wright, yes. One of the, the 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 charts that has really stuck out to me over the last couple of weeks is this one um, comparing Delta cases to Omicron cases. And yes, if you look at the astronomical rise in in the overall cases we're seeing here in the UK and increasingly in other parts of the world, Omicron cases are dominating in terms of the absolute number. But we are seeing a continued rise in Delta cases in, in in many places. So it seems as though the Omicron variant isn't necessarily displacing the Delta variant. Um, so you know, what happens once the Omicron case load, a case rate, starts to come down? Um, will we continue to be battling Delta when, when all is said and done with Omicron?
3: Yes, this is a very good point. In previous, with the previous variants, there were only minor changes of uh, the wild type uh, as, we, uh, as the pandemic evolved. Now, with Omicron, there are lots of changes, as we all have heard and learned, um, which is also makes it more difficult for our immune system um, and for the vaccines, for example, to protect against the Omicron, uh, an infection against the Omicron variant. But at the same time, also, um, uh, an infection with Omicron doesn't necessarily lead to immunity against uh, other variants. So we do not have the guarantee that uh, the one replaces the others. It's probably a good chance that that we have uh, not only the Omicron variant in the near future.
1: Well, So let's go down that path. So if it turns out that the um, immunity one gets from having an Omicron infection doesn't actually cross over to protect you from the Delta variant, um, doesn't it all come back to vaccines then? Because the vaccines that we have do in fact protect us against the Delta variant much better than they, they do against the Omicron variant. So ultimately if and when Omicron is said and done as, as a variant wave, it's all going to come down to the vaccinations um, in order to crush the Delta wave and potentially uh, crush the pandemic?
3: Certainly, the vaccinations we have at the moment are very, very useful for us and uh, can, uh, can reduce, if not always uh, protect from infection, but can reduce the, the clinical uh, problems these co- uh, uh, infections cause. And therefore, they remain to be uh, very, very useful and very. Um, it, it is very important that we still make sure that as many people as possible get vaccinated at this point in time. Uh, doctor- while at the same, sorry, sorry, while at the same time, contact reduction will be very helpful if we can lower the numbers. Uh, the risk for all of us will be much lower.